Welcome to Room 106. I'm Richard Garlick from Planning Magazine. And I'm Toby Porter, also from Planning Magazine, standing in for the holidaying John Gagan. Every fortnight, we enter Room 106, the den of discomfort into which all new planning information is deposited, and extract the key things you need to know. In this edition, a court has ruled that a development that does not materially change a building's exterior can still harm an area's character and appearance. We'll discuss the implications. The government has published a dashboard to allow council planners to estimate likely school pupil demand from new housing. We'll explain what this is intended to allow planners to do. And the housing minister has warned councils delaying their local plans that things will not end well for them. We'll ask how worried councils should be. And we'll round up some of the other big news stories of the last fortnight. So, ready to go in? Okay. Well, here we are again in room 106. It's looking surprisingly full, considering that it's the holiday period. But as ever, we have some help in digesting it all. Yes, now my eyes are adjusting to the gloom. I can see our senior reporter, Samantha Reckford. Hello, Sam. Hello. Good to have you with us. But, Toby, if I can start with you, you mentioned that important Court of Appeal decision about how an area's character can be affected, even if a development does not affect the appearance of the area. Can you explain to us in a bit more depth what happened in this case? Well, a Court of Appeal judge has ruled that development can harm an area's character, even if it does not affect appearance, or even the exterior of the building. It's a guideline judgment that overturns a previous High Court ruling. Okay, and what were the steps that led to this decision? The case concerned an application to subdivide a semi-detached house in northwest London into two separate homes, which had been to an inquiry, and then to the High Court, and now the Court of Appeal. There would be no visible change to the property, save each of the new homes having its own parking space and the erection of a fence to divide the property's rear garden into two. But the London Borough of Hillingdon refused planning permission after an officer's report emphasised that the street's rigid building line and very high degree of uniformity imparted a very strong character to the scene. The proposal, the report stated, would unbalance the symmetry, it said, between the house and its neighbour and create two narrow plots resulting in what was labelled a cramped form of development. Okay, so when it went to an appeal, what did the inspector say? The planning inspector rejected the appeal against the council's decision in January 2022. Noting the pleasant rhythm of the street's built environment, he found that the proposed fence would appear contrived and highlight the incongruity in the street scene. Okay, so then the appellant took the case to the High Court. What happened there? Indeed, in July 2022, Deputy High Court Judge David Elvin Casey upheld the appeal and described as irrational the inspector's conclusion that the proposed development would harm the area's character and appearance. The judge found that the inspector's decision was directed primarily to visual issues. As the project would involve no change to the external appearance of an existing extension, which the appellant proposed to convert into a separate dwelling, it was, the judge observed, 
hard to understand how the development would appear incongruous or harm the rhythm of the street scene. So the Secretary of State then set about challenging that in the Court of Appeal. How did the Secretary of State frame his argument? Exactly. He argued that the inspector's use of the expression street scene was not confined to visuals alone. The proposal's impact on the area's character and appearance took into account such matters as the building line, setback distances, plot sizes and widths, he said. And the Secretary of State was successful. The um, Court of Appeal overturned the High Court decision and reinstated the inspector's decision. So what did the uh, Court of Appeal judges say in reinstating that decision? Well, Sir Keith Lindblom found that the inspector's use of the term street scene did not indicate that he was focused exclusively on the development's visual impact. The expression was, in context, not hard to understand. And by using it, the inspector, the judge said, did not mean to limit himself to a consideration only of the appearance of the street or to a purely visual assessment. Basically, the inspector considered character as well as appearance, the judge said. Okay, and so where does that leave us? Well, Sir Keith, who is sitting with Lords Justice Lewis and Nuji, added, the inspector was able to reach these conclusions in spite of the fact that there would be no or no material change to the exterior of the building itself, but only a change to its rear by the erection of the fence. He was well aware of that. And the judge concluded, the inspector was concerned to establish the effect of the proposed development not merely on the appearance of the area, but on the character and appearance of the area, both in other words. The judge continued, taking everything into account, including the fence, and considering the effect of the overall several features to which he referred, he was in no doubt that there would be harm of the kind he described. This, in my view, said the judge, was a perfectly lawful exercise of planning judgment. Okay, and what have expert commentators seen as the implications? What's, what's been the reaction? Well, Peter Ford, Principal Consultant at the Local Government Association's Planning Advisory Service, said it would be quite worrying if the original judgment stood because it narrowed down character and appearance to just appearance. And the latest judgment has affirmed that character matters outside of conservation areas, he said, adding, if this had been a conservation area, I don't think there would ever have been any debate about it. And furthermore, David Evans, heritage and placemaking lead at public sector planners body, the Planning Officers Society, said the judgment would be crucial in suburban areas. Evans said, this is where many people live and they're becoming much more aware of their environment and care about it, he said, adding that the judgment bolsters recent moves by the government to give more weight to design in the planning system. Okay, well, many thanks for that, Toby. Uh, all very interesting. I, I wonder if we'll see uh, the arguments made again in the Supreme Court, but um, no news of that as yet. We're going to talk later, Toby, about some of the other stories that have been um, coming out over the past month. But um, Sam, if I can switch to you, you've been looking at this dashboard that the government has published to allow council planners to estimate likely school pupil demand generated by new housing. So can you just start off by telling us what the government's done? 
Yes. So the government has updated its non-statutory guidance on delivering schools to support housing growth, which is for local authorities planning for education to support housing growth and seeking associated developer contributions. So this update involved the publication of an updated version of its guidance on securing developer contributions for education, the addition of new guidance on estimating pupil yield from housing development, and was also accompanied by a new pupil yield dashboard. Okay, and what does this dashboard enable planners to do, or is it, what's it intended to enable planners to do that they couldn't do before? So the technical notes published as part of the dashboard state that it is intended to provide pupil yield factors for each local authority in England and provides information that should enable local authorities to replicate and update this data in the future. Taken together, the guidance and the data dashboard are designed to help local authorities to apply this pupil yield evidence in a consistent way, which the government said should make the planning process simpler, faster and more transparent. It adds that the use of the methodology is voluntary at this stage and is not expected to be applied to proposals that are already at an advanced stage in the planning process. Okay, but quite interesting, I guess, that arguments about impact on schools and schools' ability to absorb growing populations generated by big new housing schemes, that's one of the areas that can be contentious and one of the things we know communities worry about, whether places have got adequate infrastructure to cope with new development. So I suppose this is trying to maybe narrow down some of the arguments that occur and, and, and provide some kind of objective basis for showing what the impact will be on, um, on local schools. Is there any indication about how all this will be affected by the introduction of the new infrastructure levy, which is being brought forward as part of the levelling up bill? So the guidance states that although the government is intending to bring forward this new levy, its introduction via a test and learn process means that the existing system is expected to remain in place in most areas for the foreseeable future because it's, the test and learn process will involve it being rolled out incrementally over several years. So according to the guidance, this means that SIL and Section 106 will remain the standard means of securing developer contributions before the new infrastructure levy is fully adopted. So this guidance is focused on the existing system rather than any um, changes that may be brought in in the future. And uh, as we know, the uh, infrastructure levy is uh, apparently going to be introduced over a very long period of time, isn't it? So there are going to be a lot of places which have the existing system for the foreseeable future. And you've also been looking at another story in the last month that seems to be very widely read, is the article about the housing minister warning councils that if they delayed their local plans, things, in quotes, will not end well for them. So... Can you flesh out a little bit what she said? Yes. So Housing Minister Rachel McLean told a House of Lords built environment committee that things may not end well for them if they've delayed their local plan. She was responding to a question from Liberal Democrat peer Baroness Thornhill, who highlighted the fact that 58 authorities and counting have withdrawn or paused their local plans. McLean said that the government was taking what she called quite interventionist actions to make it extremely clear to councils that whatever they said in the media about how they do not like a plan, the government expect them to carry on with it. She went on to say that the bottom line is that if they do not carry on with making their plans, there will be consequences for them, adding that some of those consequences are what local authorities do not particularly want and will not end well for any of them. Okay, and is there any indication of what these consequences might be? So we asked the Department for Leveling Up Housing and Communities about this and a spokesperson for DLUC would not confirm the consequences McLean was referring to, 
but did say that the Secretary of State has a range of intervention powers in relation to the plan-making process. The spokesperson would also not state the criteria for failure, the penalty, and would not confirm if such sanctions had ever been imposed before. Okay, well, on that basis, how worried should local authorities be by this threat? This isn't the first time that the government has threatened local authorities over their slow local plan progress. So in 2020, the Housing Department announced that all local authorities would be required to have an up-to-date local plan in place by December 2023 or face central government intervention. Interesting to see what happens come December 23 about what happens there. There have been some instances where the government has intervened, such as in October 2019, when former Housing Secretary Robert Jenrick issued a holding direction stopping South Oxfordshire Council from withdrawing its local plan. In that instance, the holding direction was lifted and then a further order was issued requiring the council to adopt the plan by December 2020, which it it did meet that deadline. So it it didn't face any further sanctions. Okay, but there are few and far between examples of government actually backing up its threats to... um inflict some kind of penalty on on councils that are slow in bringing forward their local plans. Yes, it wouldn't be the first time they've they've made threats that they then haven't followed through. Of course, I guess the um, government would uh, might argue that the the consequences of not having a local plan in place and the way in which that opens up routes to appeal for developers is enough of a deterrent in itself from people not bringing forward local plans. But um, with the quantity of Councils who uh, who seem to be delaying their plans in the last year or so, that deterrent doesn't seem to be being very effective. And um, in the last few weeks since this has been said, have any more councils withdrawn or delayed plans? Yes, a few have done so. So earlier this month, Winchester City Council announced that its local plan would now be adopted or was, is expected to be adopted more than a year later than it previously had expected. The council cited ongoing nutrient neutrality issues and delays to other crucial evidence documents as the reason for the delay. It also recently emerged that Litchfield's district council is poised to withdraw its draft plan from examination, with the authority's newly elected cabinet set to debate this motion at the start of September. It also looks like Tandridge district council's local plan could be withdrawn from examination after the examining inspector wrote to the authority to say that he would conclude the long-running examination and find the plan unsound unless the authority was willing to withdraw the document. Okay, well, thank you very much, Sam. Toby, coming back to you, you've got an overview of what's been happening in, in the news in the past month. Any other key stories that people should be aware of? Yeah, there's an important list of crucial decisions being made. So. Firstly, a High Court judicial review is set to take place over the examination and adoption of the second part of Waverley Borough Council's local plan, that's for its allocations and development management policies, five years after its first part was adopted. So another story is an inspector has dismissed an appeal against Hartsmere Borough Council's refusal of 310 homes in the Hertfordshire Greenbelt, despite the local authorities in quotes, woeful housing land supply position, but also awarded applicant Redrow Homes partial costs for the council's unreasonable behaviour during the inquiry. Another court case, the High Court judge, Mrs Justice Lang, has quashed an inspector's decision to refuse permission for two new homes in Essex, finding that the official had failed to apply the National Planning Policy Framework's tilted balance to Epping Forest District Council, 
which has a housing land supply of just 1.43 years. And the inspector also ordered the government to pay the developers £7,500 costs. And lastly, Harlow Council in Essex has applied for an injunction against developers Persimmon, Barrett David Wilson and Taylor Wimpy to stop any further sales on a 1,200 home housing development until those developers build the, quote, vital community facilities, things like a sports pavilion, pitches, allotments, community centre and shops, at the Gildan Park development, which were promised in the original section 106 planning gain agreements. Okay, well, thanks, Toby. And of course, listeners can read more on all of those stories at planningresource.co.uk. Well, I think our work is done. Let's get out before there are any more announcements or decisions. Great, that's another few weeks summarised. Yes, we'll be back with a bonus edition in a week's time, exploring what the government's U-turn on ring-fencing planning fee income means for councils and developers. In the meantime, don't forget to subscribe wherever you normally get your podcasts and to get a daily bulletin of planning news plus weekly analysis and specialist bulletins, subscribe at planningresource.co.uk. Our thanks to producers Till Owen from Haymarket Business Media and Daisy Chaku from Rethink and thanks for listening. Goodbye.